Hello and welcome to I Was There, conversations with eyewitnesses to history. I'm Ron Roberson. And I'm Jeff Trujillo. And each week or so, we try to bring you conversations with people who were eyewitnesses to history in one form or another, right, Jeff? That's right. You know, we were talking a little bit before, you don't have to be famous. Right. Typically, you're not famous. Typically, you're just doing <laughs> what you're doing. You're living your life. And then something big happens. And you might not even realize it at that time. Mm-hmm. But looking back on what you saw, sometimes you go, wow, I was there. Right. And so that's kind of the idea behind this podcast. Right. And we've got people lined up to tell their stories. I mean, this is very common uh, amongst folks uh, that have seen different things. And it could be like the most obscure type thing. You may have been uh, the window washer when somebody famous got shot or something. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. But uh, you didn't have to be right there on the scene, right? That's right. Uh, You know, (laughs) and in developing this show, through my life, I've talked to folks, and it always amazes me some of the things that people have seen in their life. Mm-hmm. And so we just, when we and you started talking about this, we said, let's start featuring some of these folks. Yeah. And we'll start with our friends, and that's kind of how the, the show started. And it's starting off with a bang. Uh, we kind of fleeced, if you will, our, um, our different social media platforms. And uh, all the information coming back, the feedback that we've been getting has been pretty positive. So far, so good. We'll see. And I'm pretty confident that with the lineup that we have, we're going to start with our friends, but then that's going to feed into people saying, hey, I know somebody who saw this, and I know somebody who saw this. So to our listeners, if you know somebody who has seen something pretty amazing or has an amazing story to tell, please pass them our way. Go to our Facebook page, uh, drop us a line, and let us know, because we are looking for people who have seen amazing things. Mm-hmm. And someone who has seen um, some amazing thing in his life. I can't wait. This this one I've been anticipating for a few weeks now. You got me all excited. And um, we've got a very, very special guest who has a unique approach and up-close-and-personal uh, account of history that was in the making and that's now part of our history in this day and time. That's right. This one is very special to me because it's a gentleman who's been a father figure to me since I was about 15 years old. And uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him back then and working for him and getting to be really close friends with his family. And then in later years, we've stayed in contact and we've been able to actually do some traveling together. Yeah, that's what and I heard, so yeah. throughout those travels, the stories that he's been able to tell me, again, that really sparked an interest in me. And when we came up with this idea, I said, we've got to get this man on our show. Yeah, well, who is the man? And I'm on edge of my seat. Let's, let's get it going, man. <laughs> so the man is Bill Spencer. Yes. And like I said, when uh, I'll tell you really quickly how we met. When I was 15, I started working at a, a sporting goods store uh, in my hometown of Bellflower, California, mm-hmm. and worked for a, a great lady there for about a year, year and a half, and she ended up uh, selling her store to Mr. Spencer. What kind of store was that? It was a sporting goods store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a small mom-and-pop sporting goods store. Mm-hmm. And so uh, basically, I was sold along with the store. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they got the store, but they got me too. And uh, like I said, from day one, they came in and uh, you know, it was just like they made me part of the family. And I have felt that close with them ever since. And it's just been an honor to know them and to travel with Bill over the years and stay close with the family. And then I knew him as a sporting goods store owner. What I didn't know was that his day job, you know, he would come in after work. Well, his day job, he was an engineer at Rockwell International wow. in Downey. Wow. And what were they doing there? You know, there was these mysterious buildings in Downey mm-hmm. and uh, come to find out, Years later, they were actually uh, building rockets. They were building Apollo uh, command capsules. They were building the space shuttle. 
there was amazing things right there going in the city on of Downey. right there in the city amazing. of Downey, right right in our own backyard and yes. uh, you know i didn't realize it at the time but I was working for a rocket man. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like I said, as, through the, as the years went on, I started asking more and more questions. What were you guys doing over there? And some of those stories are, are really amazing. Yeah, and so oh, we're, we're going to hear, hear some, some of those today. We're going to hear some today. I'm, I, I'm just shocked at some of the things that we heard in our pre-guest interview, uh, some of the things that went on right in the area where I'm living. I'm living in Bellflower right now, and I had no idea some of these things existed. Yeah. In doing some research, again, for this show, at its height, there was about 35,000 people working just at Rockwell at that wow. time. And then if you think about Southern California, you know, you had Rockwell, you had Boeing. I mean, there was a lot of aerospace going on in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really built Southern California in, in a, a big way. And again, all these things that we would see on TV, they were a lot of them were being built right there in our own backyard, you know, when we went to the moon and beyond. So uh, it's it's quite an amazing story. All right. Well, enough of you. Let's get past me. <laughs> let's get to the good stuff. No, great setup, man. No, let's, let's bring our guest in, man. I'm anxious to hear from him this morning. So without further ado, let me introduce Mr. Bill Spencer. Welcome, Bill. Right, Bill. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very you. much. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Ron. Glad Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for giving us your time. And so, like I said, you've been a father figure to me. I mean, you're as close to a second dad as I have. And first of all, I want to thank you for adopting me, even though you you might not know you adopted me, but you did adopt me. And so, yeah, let's, let's go back and let's start with how did you get involved in aerospace? Basically, I was almost the age that you were. You were talking about 15 years old when you worked for Mrs. Shank at, at the Sporting Goods uh-huh. Store. I was a student at Long Beach State, a mechanical engineering major, and working at Vaughn's uh, Meat Market. And my dad was an engineer, and he said to me, would, would you like to work uh, maybe a little bit more in the engineering field? And I said, well, you know, it's would be something I'd be interested in. You know, a meat market didn't look like it had too big of a future <laughs> for me <laughs> because I got to go in at 10 o'clock, you know, when everybody else wasn't there to, just to clean up. So uh, I started in 1959. My father uh, got me a job, and it, and it was called a draftsman. It was called a sea draftsman. And that was the lowest engineering classification that a person could get. But to me, it was like, you know, it was heaven. It's something I dreamed of. It's something that when I was eight years old, my dad said to me, he was, you know, he one thing about engineers, they don't talk to their family much about what they do, right. you know, or even their friends or even people that work for them at sporting goods stores. <laughs> but uh, we, we really, so I dad once, when I was about eight, and dad said, hey, would you like to go with me? Uh, he was working at Northrop at the time. And uh, would you like to go with me for having a family, family day? And uh, I'd like to take you. i got some things I want to show you. So it was in Hawthorne, and we were living in Lakewood. So we drove over there, no freeways, and took the roads and got there. And, you know, I was standing around looking at the things, and Dad was showing me things. And then all of a sudden I heard this roar of a, a jet engine. And I looked up, and there was this looked like a boomerang. And it had two uh, fighters on each wingtip. Oh, wow. And it was a YB-49, which was a the first flying wing that Mr. Northrop built, and uh, my father had the opportunity to work on it. My father ha- actually had the opportunity to fly in it. Wow. So we, we came home, you know, I saw it. I just couldn't believe it. It flew up, and it, just like a boomerang, it, it went from horizontal to vertical, turned out, and headed out towards Muroc. That's where, that's where it was stationed out there, and that's where they were building them. So my dad said, what do you think? And I said, whoa, this is, this is for me. That's what I like to do, Dad. I want to do that. So with his help and his encouragement all along, you know, he, he taught me, and uh, we did a lot of things that had to do with that. We built models and 
radio control airplanes, and he taught me how to do drafting. I didn't get to take any classes in school that were drafting, but my dad did. So fast forward to when I'm now, that was when I was eight. Well, now I'm 18, 19 years old, and I'm going to work at Downey. I'm going to be a draftsman. So I said, well, when do I work? And the guy said, you work any hours you want. And I said, well, how does that work? And he said, well, we just, we'll just put down, uh, got a box right here, and we'll put the paper in there and tell you this is what we want done. And uh, it was very, I would say, minimal, but they would, things called like engineering orders, you know, to change things. They would ask me to do those or drawings, drafting, make some draftings of, of some pieces of parts that had to be made. So I did that. I started out doing that, and uh, I'd go to work, worked around my schedule. So the end of the summer came, and they said, uh, well, we'll see you next year, you know, come back. So I went back to school. And uh, I thought, you know, that was that was sort of fun, but I was at the bottom of the thing. But and there wasn't Apollo wasn't along yet. So when I went back the following year, um, it was 1960, and 1960 was about when the big movement for the Apollo program. And as an outplay from President John F. Kennedy is the one that said, you know, we're going to want to accomplish this. We want to go to the moon. We want to have a landing on the moon in this decade. So he put the challenge out there, and uh, from then the Apollo started to develop and the program started to grow. So I was working uh, on another program in, in autonetics, which is a, was a division of North American Aviation. So I, I told him, I said, uh, when it came time to tell me to go back to school, they said, uh, okay, Bill, we'll see you next summer. And I said, I'm not going to go back to school. And they said, <laughs> what? And I, and I said, no, I want to stay. I want to go work on Apollo. It's something I think would be an amazing thing to work on. So he said, well, it's all right with me, but you've got to tell your dad that. I'm not telling your dad you're not <laughs> going back to school. <laughs> so uh, I, they said, okay. So I left and went over and walked around the, the buildings there and, and uh, found a group that I was, a, of course, a draftsman. So you sit at a big board. You know, it's uh, maybe six by three, six by four. You know, and you sit on a stool, so when you go by those places, you know what kind of jobs might be available there. So I walked mm-hmm. around a little bit and saw a group, and I walked in there, and I said, do you need anybody? And the guy <laughs> said, well, yeah, we're, we're staffing up. We need people. Well, what kind of work do you do? He said, well, we do mock-ups, models. We're, we're just a preliminary starting out. We're, I mean, you could, we could sure use somebody that would, would be interested. And I said, oh, I, I'm your man, you know. <laughs> wow. I said, so I started there, and that's... That's how I started working in Downey, and I, I worked there for the better part of 10 years. We did six uh, moon landings. Apollo became truly one of the amazing programs ever. At one point in time, I remember they used to tell us that there was 400,000 people that worked on it across the United wow. States. Wow. There was 20 different companies that worked on it, including universities, and the cost in the 70s was uh, $25 billion, <laughs> which would be, so it's everybody's $25 billion, but then I, I'm just looking at some of the things I'm watching on television now, $300 trillion, so it, 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 it's a drop in the bucket. Well, so let's go back. You mentioned that famous speech where President Kennedy said, we're going to the moon by the end of the decade. What did you think when you heard that? Did you think it was possible? You know, I'm just a kid, right? Um, you ask me now as an 81-year-old man, and I would probably say, that guy's nuts. But, <laughs> but, but when you're young and you have somebody as – to me, he was very – he represented uh, – he had a young outlook on life and, and a very vibrant person. And, and there was no doubt in my mind, having watched my father and some of the things that they accomplished, uh, that it couldn't be done. 
it was not easy, but it could be done. And there was a tremendous amount of experience from North America. And they had done things like the X-15, which is a space plane. They had done a XB-70, which is a supersonic, you know, like the Concorde, way before the Concorde. Mm-hmm. They, so they had all the uh, technology, the people with experience. So it was uh, for me to go there and work with people with that kind of experience and background. It was really exciting and a pleasure for me to do it. I, I was at the very bottom, so mm-hmm. I would just do whatever they told me. But you were creating new technology. It was new. It, it was all. It was all. You know. Just think, 1903, the Wright brothers flew their first airplane, right. and it went 120 feet, right. and it yeah. was 20 some seconds. And now here it is, 1962, and somebody tells us within a 10 year period we're going to the moon. <laughs> And you go out at night and you see the moon and you go like, yeah, this is, there's going to be, and there was no, you know, we never saw a launch of a vehicle before. We never saw that. Yeah. Spudnik was something that everybody said, oh, they're going to be way ahead of us. But we never paid much attention to any of that. So it seems like you guys were all learning together by creating the technology together. The thing about it was there was the senior people that had the knowledge. And one thing I want to say is I've never seen in my life when I went somewhere, was the quality and the intelligence of the people that were there. Mm-hmm. There was people from every state. I, I met, you know, guys were becoming graduates from Alabama, graduate mm-hmm. from Georgia, North Carolina, Purdue, you name it. it. But they didn't know anything about the space program. They didn't know anything, but they, but there was those senior guys that had worked on those programs I told you about, mm-hmm. those those airplanes that went 700 miles an hour mm-hmm. that uh, – wow. You know, Jaeger had done so. There was all that that people to guide us, and NASA had just started. So there was a technical group there that worked with us. Mm-hmm. So we started, and uh, the way you start is you put lead on paper. You know, you're drawing, like, making layouts, making parts, cutting them in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I loved it. I just I was working, and and they said, well. My dad always told me it's the quality of the work that you do. If you put your name and how you do it, ten years from now. 15 years, whatever, somebody will see that drawing and they'll see your name and they'll see the quality of the work. Yeah. And that way that you'll, that's something you can leave for people to see. So I took my dad's advice and did that. And I spent a lot of time practicing lettering. You know, there was no, there was no computers. You know, they had that old thing. They called it a stick. You know, it was called a slide rule. Slide rule. We didn't have, <laughs> we didn't have any calculators on our desks. You know? right. So we started, and uh, I was very fortunate because I could, I could print. And so they started making, asking me to make all the charts and stuff. So I spent hours at night. You know, like I said, uh, I was talking a little bit before we started was. Uh, in that decade, I worked six days a week, 50 to 60 to 70 hours a week mm-hmm. for 10 years. And wow. never complained once, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Never. It was it, it was an exciting time. In fact, one of the highlights was there was a gentleman with all that experience that talked about it. I used to get done, and then I would go. I was on the clock, and you had to punch in in the morning, and you punch out. So I would go punch out, and then I would come back, and I would keep working and they didn't pay me or anything but i would keep working because i was making this model it was going to be a 10th scale apollo which is 378 feet and i was making this scale model for the president of the division so you know now i'm not i got the only fluorescent light over my board and you can tell who's there and out the rest of the places and all of a sudden here comes this gentleman and he's he's about five foot five six or something and he walks up and he said what are you doing here and i said i'm doing this model for Mr. Feltz, the president of the company, and, and he just looked at me, you know, and he said, are you getting paid 
overtime to do this? And I said, no, sir, I'm I just doing this. It's, you know, I really enjoy it because I'm just new and starting. He said, well, do a good job for it because I want it to look real good in my office. So that was my introduction <laughs> to, to uh, Charlie Feltz, the, peop- the quality of the people like that. And then from then on, the whole program in those 10 years was all about a team concept. There were so many people that worked together. I, I never heard many people use I. It was always us, a team. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went through some terrible times. We had a lot. Of, we had failures. We had sure. a lot of things happened that would have probably uh, could have stopped us, but didn't. Yeah. You said you were building uh, models, but what was the mission in Downey? What what components oh. were you building? It, it, so. In, in Downey, if you look at the vehicle, there was a thing called a command module. And, mm-hmm. and like I sh- when you and I went traveling to the space station in the space uh, museum out, out in Florida, we saw it. The command module w- was where the three astronauts were. Mm-hmm. It, was, it looked like a gumdrop, you know. Mm-hmm. And below that was called a service module. And that was a engine was there that got you out of the orbit, back to Earth from the moon. And then it, it got uh, – so that was completely built by Downey. Those two key parts were completely built by Downey. And then the rest of the pieces of the puzzle were the Saturn engine itself and, and all that was below it. So that, that represented maybe 30 feet of the 370. So all the rest was engine and tanks. But the real positive advantage was North American Aviation had many different divisions. So up at Canoga Park, they had a place that built those type of rocket engines. They were... They, so Saturn was that. They had a place in Seal Beach where they built the Saturn V, where they, they actually had a barge, and they took it out onto ships to, to ship back to the Cape. So uh, what we did was, was that and the integration of all that. There's mm-hmm. a lot of that. And then uh, NASA was involved with this. But the key was the people who used it, the users, that you say now, was the astronaut. Mm-hmm. So when I was working in this group, making the models and doing that i i th- you know i thought this is okay but I, I would like to get into something else so i got into what they called the instrumentation installation mm. and what that was is is that all these systems that we have you have to be able to say they're working properly they're okay what the temperature is what the pressure is uh, are they getting too much too many uh, is the load itself on them okay so i transferred to that group so what i would do was i would take what our support group would buy the parts, buy the transducers, and then they'd bring it to us and say, okay, uh, we want you to put this on this system. So the advantage to that was that I got to work on basically every system that was on this vehicle. Wow. So, and from there, uh, things just continued to get better and better. I, you know, and I was getting, every 16 weeks, I'd get a nickel raise, so <laughs> I was really... And, and during that period, Jeff, I'm not jumping too far ahead, Jeff. Um, I know you got a few things you wanted to ask, but uh, I'm just curious. And you had mentioned it to it on one of your trips that you all had uh, gone through and saw one of his inventions. Uh, what indeed did you design? Well, it, you know what? It, it, the word design is more for a person that when you start out your draftsman, so what you do is you take uh, and make drawings of a design that a man has. In other words, he comes over to you and shows you this big thing that you, you have to make this part, that part. This thing. So when I got to the point where they said, you know, this guy, this might, guy might be okay, you know. So, the, so they started to pass things on to me. And then I was lucky enough that we had 
cameras. You, you know, you needed cameras. So I said, that, would like, that might be a good job. You know, I'd like to try that. So that's what I started to do. I started working with cameras. Mm-hmm. And there was a Hasselblad camera. There was a 16-millimeter camera. That, and eventually we even went to had our own TV camera. It had a TV camera the astronauts had. And uh, obviously an astronaut could handle them. But at the time, sometimes they're so busy doing things and that, that they needed some way to mount this thing so when they put it in, they could look out of the, the windows of the command module, which was there was five windows, two side windows and two rendezvous and one on the hatch. So they wherever they want to have it, we had a camera that would do that for them. So that's how I got to meet them. And I can honestly say I was 20 and they were 30. Most all of them had master's degrees. A large portion of them were test pilots. They were the most amazing amazing people that I'd ever worked with, but I think a, a good side note is, uh, remember Tom Cruise and remember the attitude he had <laughs> yeah. when he was the pilot? They had that right. attitude, you know? The, the need was, for speed. Well, yeah. and, and they had the right stuff. Yeah, yeah the right they had stuff. the right stuff. That's <laughs> yeah. right. They, they, that's yeah. what they were all about. And you, you really had to respect to what they had to say because they were the ones that were going to put their lives on the line to do something that nobody had, nobody had ever done. And that's a key thing nobody had ever done this just before us was a gemini and just before that you know was uh, first time anybody shepherd the first time anybody even went to the first outer space but not anything like a moon landing you know that was that was amazing so yeah so going back to that camera though that you developed mm-hmm. i remember we were in a, a museum i believe it was in was it Missouri? I think it was in Missouri. That museum, that was in uh, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, that's yeah. what it was. And I remember we, we walked up, and you were looking at something in the display case, and you got real quiet, and I said, what, what's wrong, Bill? And you pointed at it, and you said, I, I made that. <laughs> yeah. What was that? Well, yeah, that was, that was, a, that was a camera that held a, held a Hasselblad camera. And it, you had to have a, something that was user-friendly to the astronaut because he's got gloves on sometimes and sometimes sure. he doesn't. Obviously, once he gets to the point where the, he's, he's out of one of the, the launch environment, he'd take off his suit. But, but it was just something simple, but it, was, but it held a Hasselblad camera, which was not made by us, but, of course, Germany made that camera. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it was something that I had made it at, a, at a, maybe when I was 20 years old. And to see it, <laughs> to see it I, I saw it when I was at the Smithsonian. I saw it at the Space Center in Florida. I, I saw it up in Los Angeles when I went to see the shuttle. It, it's just the simplest of things, and just to say that I, I did it, you know. Yeah, and that, and, that and camera. I was there, you know. <laughs> I, got, yeah, there's a, yeah, I was there. I was there, and that, and that camera probably gave us some of the first glimpses of Earth oh, the, the, that, right. that we've yeah. seen over yeah. the years. I, you know what? Uh, it, it was so much fun because it, it, it just it, it evolved, you know. You, mm-hmm. you, you, so I remember the first test we got to do it was a lot of fun, you know. But but they said, well, Bill, you, what would you, you know, we, we need some we need something to put some cameras on this Apollo here, the uh, command module. We're going to drop this out in the back. So out there at, at uh, Downey, we had a pool, and we had a big tower, and we swing the command module up. They'd swing it forward and shoot and go out and hit in the water, you know. So they said to me. We want somebody to put some cameras in there so we can see how they how those dummies, like the ones you see on the cars nowadays. I uh-huh. uh, guess you can't call them dummies, but <laughs> but, but, any, but anyhow, uh, politically. Uh, so they said you. So I said, okay, what do I do? And he said, okay, you just put the cameras. We got these cameras put in. So I said, okay, I'll do it. You know, and I said, what what happens? And he said, well, come on out there. We'll show you. You know, they, you're new in the group. We'll take you out there. 
So I said, what do I, what do, I do? And he said, well, go down there and stand right down there. You get close as you can to that chain link. You'll see a lot better. You can see the, Well, I, I've been set up a lot of times in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but I walked up there just as, you know, another buddy of mine was a young guy. He was from Paramount, and we went up, you know, both of us, you know, and guy, oh, this is good. Oh, these are good seats. Look at all those people over there. We really got good seats here. So they dropped it, and about the next thing we looked up, and there was about a four-and-a-half-foot wave coming over through, <laughs> through the fence, and we got, we, got, we got drenched. I mean, we were wet, and then... The bad news was the command module sank. Oh. <laughs> so what had happened was they had a failure structure. Uh, remember, they have ablative material, and there's, that was one piece of the structure. And then there was the structure of the command module itself, and it actually hit so hard that it blew a hole in it. So, wow. And those wow. camera pictures that I had the opportunity to install and to uh, mount, you could see the water <laughs> rising up. You know, So that, that was my first uh cause and effect kind of thing I got out of instrumentation, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of I fun. Bet. But I, I, from then on, I got to be the one to tell people that we're new to the group where to stand. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the, the splashdowns, uh, uh, we, we've seen that all in the past. And I was surprised to see that they did a splashdown here in one of the last um, landings yeah. that I thought was interesting. Are we going back to that now, or wasn't well, that kind of dangerous back in the day? Well, the... the you know, I often thought about that when you thought about that. Well, you think about um, one-eighth of the one-eighth of the world basically is land. Mm-hmm. Seven-eighths is water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and back in the 60s, you didn't have a lot of software. You didn't have a lot of navigation. Uh, one of the fortunate things I worked on later on is the GPS satellite, and uh, you didn't have that kind of thing. So you needed a place to maybe put it, and then you needed a support team to get to it. Mm-hmm. You didn't want to have it coming into a populated area or something. So that's why they picked right. it. Now, some of those things you've seen lately, uh, they are they are doing that same c- concept. Right. Uh, but also with the technology has advanced so much that you can launch a satellite and they're, and they're reusable so they bring them back and they don't drop them in the water we drop them we, you know we obviously didn't drop on apollo we didn't drop that and wanted to lose that but but uh that uh but now they have it reusable so mm-hmm. they don't you don't see as much of that but when we did gps we did we dropped it in the water and so something was lost if we couldn't get uh, you know, the, the side mount tanks, they maybe, we didn't get them, but, but now they have the capability to reuse everything. So that's mm-hmm. one of the real advantages in, in today's market. Mm-hmm. So going back to Apollo, and it's well documented, the successes of, you know, eventually going to the moon. But in order to get there, we had to go through some failures. And we all know we lost some astronauts early on, which from what I've seen in documentaries, reset things. It sounds like you were there during that time. What do you do when that happens? I mean, how do you regroup? What, what you know, happens? It was, you know, if you think that we started it in 1962 or so, and the fire occurred in January of 67. Mm. So there was a lot going on. A lot had been done. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the systems had been, we thought, were ready to go. There was what they call a plugs out kind of thing where they they were going to do a complete check we're going to we're going to go right down the countdown we're going to go ahead and do this but what happened was there was a spark ignition that caused there was 100% oxygen that's what they had 
been using mm-hmm. in the command module. So when that spark in that environment mm-hmm. it caught on fire, well, there was supposed to have had, remember I mentioned the word hatch previously, there's a hatch, and that was supposed to be able to, you were supposed to be able to get it open in a very reasonable amount of time, but it went under that environment that they were under, uh, we, they, had, they perished. Mm-hmm. The three astronauts perished, and I... I just knew that we only had two years to go, if you, if you look at things that way, right. in order to, to complete our goal. And those guys were pilots, test pilots, and they were, they were amazing, amazing, talented human beings. So we sort of just regrouped mm-hmm. and started over. And uh, I can remember when you looked at what the command module looked like before, and then you looked at it. After we started to make those changes to make it better, it was like a Hyundai versus a Cadillac. You know, it was so much different. It was so much better. Uh, the, the way it looked before was you could see the wiring. You could, you know, we didn't have it closed off. You could, you could see the wiring, and you could so that if you had one of those big shoes on, or you were pushing and looking, and there's only three guys, like three guys in a closet. You know, it's very tight, and and there's the the it's their. Uh, the couches and things that they were on. So what we did is we closed all that up. And uh, I can remember going out there and sitting, laying in that, in those, and trying to figure out how to do it, you know, and uh, what we should do. And, and they asked me to go and, and, and just simple. I wasn't anything. I was just a guy doing simple things, for, for a better term, making a cabinet door on a on a cupboard, you know, <laughs> that's the way I look. It wasn't anything, but but it was extremely important to to get it right and and do it. But we we did all that, and then amazingly, they just got right back to it, and we started going. And, and there was a the intervention of the outside, the politics of all that. Uh, I never got much, I never paid much attention to any of all that. What was this? Whose fault it was? There wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of that going on, but there was. Uh, the astronaut. I knew some of the astronauts just by you know saying hi, Bill, or something, nothing. But there was one astronaut that was I'd always impressed him. He was sort of a little bit older, and his, his name was Borman. And uh, Borman was given the job to sort of oversee everything, oh, to get this thing back on the track and get it running, and fl- you know, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And we hadn't been to the moon. We hadn't, you know, we hadn't even been out. You know, there was plans to go there, but not. We haven't any. We had to pass this test. Mm-hmm. So what they did was is about Christmas time. Borman, we got it all ready to go. And uh, they said, uh, I think I've watched some documentaries and things, and they said, you know, okay. And Borman says, okay, I'll go. It looks like a figure eight. It flew out and went around the moon right. and came right. back. And he, he was the one that read from the Bible about Christmas time at that time. Mm-hmm. Amazing that... That was in December of 68. The fire occurred January of 67. So you take something and you almost completely redesign it in about a year and a half. Mm. Wow. And, and to show that it was ready, that we could do it, he stepped up and did that. Mm-hmm. And uh, amazing. You know, I mean, there's three guys, and nobody ever been there, so he did it. He went around, the, running around, came back, and, and that was the thing that said, okay, we're, we're, we're ready. ready we're on. ready. Yeah. So let's get to the moon landing. So mm. what's it like when we finally said, okay, we're going to the moon. This is 
Apollo 11. Where were you when we landed? When you saw that happening and you knew that, okay, yeah, let's see if we can do it. You know, I don't know. I have five, I have five kids. I have nine grandchildren. And uh, there's a lot of things that excite you, you know, that, that mm. those things are very <laughs> – but I hate to say it, but that, when that happened, I, I had to be where I had to be. So I went down to Hemet where my dad was in a trailer, and uh, <clears throat> I shared that moment with my father. Nice. And it was uh, – we were jumping up and down. It was amazing, <laughs> amazing. You know, you saw it on television all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it It truly, truly was – uh, an amazing, amazing feat. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I never doubted that we couldn't do it, but I was really extremely so happy when it happened. Yeah. And, and it, you know, after losing three astronauts, yeah. and knowing that you know, you don't have thought of that, but but that became something real. You know. Yeah. I think I didn't say before, but I think one of the greatest accomplishments of the Apollo program was Apollo thirteen. Yeah. I was. Uh, I watched that with gr- great interest. Uh, being an engineer, uh, and what they did mm-hmm. with what they had, it is that that is really amazing. And with with what they could have happened, and knowing that what had happened before, just uh, four vehicles before they had lost three, mm-hmm. but what those guys did to bring those guys back. And remember, they they had this thing that they call the LEM. The, yes. Lunar excursion module. They brought that on. Thank God that 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 the that the cause of the fifteen didn't damage that. So they brought it up and they lived in that and they shared and it, it was talk about real time. Mm-hmm. They didn't practice anything of that, mm-hmm. but you can just tell that that was an example that uh, made me as an engineer very proud. And that propelled them home. It did. Right? They got them to a point because when they were out there, they were sort of like you were sort of stuck. Yeah, but. Because of what those gentlemen did, and, and the plans they had, and the and, and the knowledge they had, that, you know, you you get to to the point if you do something enough times, uh, your repetition, and you work with these parts, these boxes. Everybody goes, "What does that box do?" You know, it, it's uh, it, it's uh, you know it, and you know, and uh, you can share that, and that's when when they need you was when you have problems. Mm-hmm. The thing that's uh, interesting is is. I got to see a lot of pictures because I had worked with them, and I got to see pictures before any, you know, really a lot of people or the news or anybody got to see them, so they'd bring me some, hey, Bill, here, did you see this? Oh, look at this one here. You know, so um, the evolution of that camera thing was I was doing cameras, and, and uh, I did uh, instrumentation. and But then when you go to the moon, remember they said they picked up rocks? Mm-hmm. Yes. So we had to have somewhere to put them because when you come back, can't have rocks, you know, flying. <laughs> so, so underneath the underneath where the actual three couches were, we made what we call containers. You know, open out of metal, and you could, they stored rocks. Did you, mm-hmm. do you have any idea how many pounds of rocks they brought back? No idea. No. I, d- I just looked that up. I just thought, you know, somebody might ask the question: <laughs> how, many, how many rocks did they bring back? And I, you know, I, I thought maybe I got four rocks. You know, right. The last four vehicles went up, and they were mainly. To really check out the the, uh, the moon itself, how it got there, what it caused, and so they wanted a lot of that stuff. One of them came back with 165 pounds. Holy the last whoa. one, Apollo 17, came back with 200 
pounds of rocks. Wow. Of course, wow. when it's up there, it's one-sixth of that. Right. Yeah. But, but at the same time, it just goes to show you that you needed – we needed those containers, and I was always hoping when it came back, I would look in there to see if they'd, you know, but they were, <laughs> none, none of them were left. Couldn't grab one. No, I thought that would be a good piece to have, you know, an artifact worth saving. <laughs> and it's, it's fun to be an ex-engineer that's done, got to work on this stuff, because as soon as you start talking, you know, and I must say it's my granddaughter, or, or somebody, or let's say it's the, the four amigos from our trips, you know, we're standing there and I'm saying this, yeah, that's what they're, and that's what, that's the ablative material, and, and and it's just a, it's just a very preliminary knowledge, I, I you know, I'm not the expert on any, but I, but I knew a little bit, and uh, all of a sudden you turn around, there's a, there's a crowd there, you know, you know people are thinking you're the one of the, uh, in the astronauts. I, I have, I have had the opportunity to watch Bill command many an audience. So. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. I did it when I was in Washington. I was my little grandson. He was the fifth grader, you know, when you go to Washington, D.C. <laughs> and I went to Smithsonian, and there was that thing. I said, Scotty, look there. Grandpa did that right there. Look right yep. there. And all wow. of a sudden I turn around, there's like seven, because there's no docents around telling you. Right, that. right. They should have that, I think. Absolutely. Oh, it's wow. been, it's, yeah, going to a museum, a space museum with Bill is a heck of an adventure. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> we because, have fun. You know, to me, it's so amazing because, like you said, you, you can look at specific parts. And I remember asking you parts about the Saturn. Like, okay, well, what that thing, that Saturn rocket was how, how big? 300 and... Yeah, 300, when you stacked it, it was about 378 at the top of the... 378, longer than a football field. Mm. And, and it has different stages. And so I'd say, well, Bill, what... Take me through the stages. What does that do? And he was able to break it down and say, this did this, this did this, this did this. And, yeah. and just, you know, the weight that they had to lift. Mm-hmm. Incredible. What, and, and so you, did you get to see any liftoffs? I got to see one. One, okay. And my brother lived in uh, Fort Lauderdale. Uh-huh. So he would come up and he, he would come up. And he would be in Cocoa Beach or somewhere, you know. And, and to see it, he didn't see it, but he could see it once it got up. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, you won't believe it. The ground shakes. You think he's because he's from California, boy, you know, and he said, the ground shakes. You can feel it in your chest. You know, he said, it's, it's, and I, when I saw that, I thought, exactly right. It's, it's uh, controlled chaos that it's great. Oh, man, it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing. Yeah, and you can't get anywhere near it during no, off, no, right? you, you're, you're, you know. But you're not, you know. You're but with, even at that distance, you're feeling the impact yeah, of it. You could well when you if you're part of the launch, you probably are a couple miles, three miles away. Mm-hmm. Wow, um, Bill. Uh, again, we've we've been to the moon and we've done that. You know, been there, done that. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, should we go back to the moon? Should we start to colonize, if you will? Uh, is that the right word, Jeff? Colonize. Colonize. Sure. Working my way up to the yeah. seas. Now. I mean, yeah. You know, I thought about that a lot. I thought about um, not a lot, but you know, when you get retired, you get a lot of things you can do, read, think, or whatever. But um, a lot of people said the same thing before when we went there. Mm-hmm. Why in the heck are you going to the moon when we got a war? <laughs> we got uh, people tearing up, burning down cities, mm-hmm. shooting politicians, presidents. Mm-hmm. Didn't seem to you can't, it comes hard to make a thing, but. I don't think you do things for the betterment of the individual. I, mm. I'm not what I'm saying. Maybe you can tell where I'm leaning, but but th- but th- when you do it for the betterment of the country or or people that work every day to pay to to have the opportunity to do that, then I would think it's a good idea. Now, if there's nothing that to be gained from it, other than just said that you can do it, 
I don't know. I wouldn't think that's worthwhile. There'd be a lot of other things that we could do that would probably be better well spent. But just seeing what the Apollo program did for people who worked and uh, were part of it, that was their livelihood for 10 good years and great jobs. And the spinoffs from it were just unbelievable. We said, oh, you don't you don't have a cell phone, or you don't you don't have a flat screen TV. Well, I tell you that there's a lot of the science and, and the technology that came way back is is just quantum stepped from Apollo to where we are nowadays. So, and that's why they can do what they can do. Yeah, man, I just learned things about you. I just didn't know. I I think you got you, you're one of the four musketeers. Were you guys when you travel? We're the we're the, we're the four amigos. Oh, amigos! I, I knew it was something like that. that. Yeah, I knew it was something. <laughs> we're the Mustangs too. What do we call them? <laughs> but I just find you absolutely fascinating, and we didn't even get into half the stuff. Um, There's that so we many to questions get. spinning around my head that I, I would like to ask, and and you know, I, going through museums with him, I I do ask a million questions, and then mm-hmm. inevitably, as he said. There's a crowd following us, and <laughs> right. you know. But uh, yeah, Bill, it's just uh, what an amazing career, thank and you. Uh, and I just yeah, just thank you for sharing sharing this with well, us, and maybe we'll do this again. Absolutely, sometime. I really I really want to thank you guys. I was mm-hmm. uh, a little hesitant to do this, um, as much as people might think. I am not the kind of person that likes to talk about himself but mm. this is something that i was proud to be part of yes and i yes. was in everything i i just can't say enough 52 years is a long <laughs> yes, amount of time to be able to to do something that you love and and uh i thank you guys i, I don't i know not even now i'm gonna go look up and see what podcast really means. <laughs> <laughs> but i was there <laughs> you were you there, were there. You were there. <laughs> Before we wrap, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And, uh, again, if you like what you hear, please give us a rating. Give us those five stars. Helps people find us and helps us move up in the in the queue. So sure. that, uh, like us. Like us. Yeah. But uh, we appreciate Bill, we appreciate your time. We appreciate our listeners. Thank, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having me.